Captain, Captain, I think we're coming up on our target. Metal stations? Uh, just what is our target, Bosun? Why, the GBN, sir. Ha! Prepare to launch torpedoes on my mark. Mark! My name's Franz, sir. No, I mean, shoot! What happened? Launch the torpedoes, Lieutenant. Why didn't you say so, sir? Ah! <sighs> Cobalts, I'll never get the Goblin Broadcast Network at gbncom.com. But, uh, let's get out of the way just in case. Follow the Path, the Bears Grove Podcast, adult level discussion of role playing as a storytelling art at bearsgrove.com. Welcome to the Bears Grove for Sunday, August 13th, number 22. I am Sam Chupp, your host. Happy to be here with you today. The show we have for you today is. Over in the Game With Me segment, we will talk about unusual PCs I've known. And the GM's Tips section will have a section on how to introduce your own world. We'll follow that up with some feedback. But first, some news and notes. I'd like to give a shout out to the Midnight's Lair people. Midnight's Lair is a podcast uh, by role-playing gamers, for role-playing gamers, Eric Menard and Luke Millet, also known as Midnight and White Wolf, respectively, live, work, and game in the greater Montreal area. They have been gaming for over 25 years each and have experience with a wide variety of game systems. What I was very interested in uh, in the episode two of theirs is that they really went into heavy detail talking about the True 20 system from Green Ronin uh, Publishing. And uh, True 20 is something I have myself looked at and I'm very fascinated with because of some of the simplicity that it generates. It was nice to hear from a very crunchy level of detail uh, how these folks uh, liked the True True 20 system. So, so far they've hit uh, it out of the ballpark each time and I'm looking forward to listening to future episodes. I am going to be at DragonCon, and I will be running games there. Apparently, the podcasting track is all taken care of, so I am going to be running games. I can't wait. It'll be fun. I am running really three separate games. Uh, I'm running about five four-hour sessions at DragonCon over the course of the weekend. The first session is for Changeling the Dreaming. There's actually going to be two slots for that. A story called I Look Forward to Remembering You, which is uh, actually named in homage to another story that Mer Lafferty wrote. But um, And the write-up for that is, The forgetting has descended upon the Shire of the Phoenix in Atlanta, and it threatens the very fabric of the glamour and all who dwell within. Will your oath circle of changelings, a trio of childlings, two wilders, and one bewildered grump, be able to locate its source and true nature before all is lost? And then there is a Firefly Storyteller game that I'm going to do, which is it's my converted uh, Firefly game um, to the Storyteller system. It's sort of a homebrew game. It's called A Mighty Fine Mess, and the description of that is, It was just going to be easy money. Pick up a package, take it to a farm on Bellarophon. No questions asked, right? Then why are the Zingze after you? And what the heck is wrong with these farmers? And where did those Corsican bandits get alliance weapons? A rough and tumble bit of crime said in this Firefly verse. And I'm going to be running that 
once on Saturday, and then I have a I have a D twenty game called the Bloody Knoll Inn. They call it an inn, but the nail tongues who run the Bloody Knoll make more money on rot gut than they do on the flea bitten straw beds. This is the worst bar in the worst part of town, but an elven lord has hired your irregular merc company to go in there and bring out his daughter. The money's good, so in you'll go. Will you use wits, cunning, and stealth, or try the raw force approach? It's up to you to decide. I'll be running that twice, and that's obviously going to be something of a barroom brawl, although there, with the story uh, set in Blackpool, you never know, because it's going to be pretty intense, I'm sure. Finally, finishing up the news and notes, I uh, wanted to say that the new Dragon Ken podcast, number three, is out. So if you aren't subscribed to that feed and you would like to hear more about Dragon Ken, which is my kids and gaming podcast, go over to feeds.feedburner.com slash dragonkin, or you can see the show blog at dragonkin.bearsgrove.com. Next up, we have the Game With Me segment. Me segment. Game with me is a segment where I talk about some of the experiences I've had over the course of years playing in various games and share with you a little bit about, you know, the kind of stuff that we do in our games. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about the unusual player characters I've known. This segment went a little long, so uh, when I first recorded it, so I'm going to split it up into two segments, and the first one will be this week, Game With Me, and then I'm going to turn it into a Storyteller's Corner uh, next week. So stay tuned for this section, part two, next week. Now, I have been listening to a podcast called Fear the Boot, which is a very interesting podcast. It's one of those that makes me both pleased to listen to it and also a little ticked off at times. But uh, and there are times when I I really agree with what they have to say. But um, you know, aside from their total lack of proclivity towards LARPing, which I can't even understand. I just uh, I don't even get that. Uh, especially since uh, some of the most wonderful gaming times I've ever had have been in the context of a live-action roleplay. But uh, they are really negative towards LARPing. At any rate, uh, they had a segment talking about one of, the, one of the people who are in the podcast called Fear the Boot, a guy named Dan, said that he doesn't like quote-unquote quote freak show characters, characters that are really kind of off the beaten path, uh, people who you know, are just not part of the normal run of characters. And, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I was bewildered because I was sitting there thinking about all of the characters in my games that could be possibly um, considered, you know, freak shows. Uh, so let's, I mean, let's just start out. I have an entire race of cat people, for example, that might be considered freak show to a lot of people. Uh, but everybody who's played cat people in my world have really enjoyed them. Um, but more specifically, uh, character, uh, player characters, um, have been very interesting. Some of them, uh, one of them is named, her name was Eloy Sar, and she was a member of an ancient race of giants who, uh, 
were like gentle shepherds of nature. And this was prior. They were so ancient. In fact, they were created a long time before the science or the, the, the practice of Druidry came onto the world. They were essentially the proto-Druids. And so the, the Tanesh were a race of people that were actually discovered in the course of play under one of my um, campaigns called Stars and Garters. There was a special secret room inside of an extra-dimensional space that people just, you know, they didn't know what that room was, and it took a long time to find the special key that opened that room. When they finally went in there, they realized it was an extra-dimensional pocket filled with these uh, crypts of people, these large, giant-sized people who were all sleeping inside these magical crypts that were glowing. And they were, you know, completely protected in their hibernation, as it were. And it took um, a little bit more doing, but eventually, one by one, they thawed these folks and started learning about them and learning what they were. And, you know, of course, it was a big jump to figure out their language because they're so old. Um, They were thousands of years old. And, uh, but, you know, to them, only a day had passed since they had gone to sleep. So, you know, they were coming out into the world and seeing how it was then and realizing that, you know, they missed out on a lot of things and um, they had to learn, they had to learn a new language and they had a very interesting uh, chemistry to them. And the, the character of Eloy Sar was actually somebody who was... Uh, actually something of a queen among them, something of a uh, goddess almost, because what Eloy Sar could do, and she didn't realize this at first, but what she could do is choose um, different aspects of different Tanesh um, and, and have them come together and literally create a third new Tanesh. So basically she was responsible for their reproduction, which was very amazing, really. Uh, when you think about it, um, because there weren't any new Tanesh made for thousands of years. They were all in stasis. So Eloy was an interesting character. She was a natural druid. She was an, uh, sort of an intuitive druid. She, wasn't, she didn't have all the uh, druidic uh, rituals and restrictions and that sort of thing. She was also an, a, a large, giant-sized person, so that was a bit difficult. She could shape change, however, so that was really her saving grace. She could change into various smaller shapes or other sort of minor changes so that she can get around. Another character which might be considered a freak show is a half-orc monk. And people were like, well, how did that work? You know, how could that possibly work, a half-orc becoming a monk? Well, in this situation, the story was that this character, Rainfrog, is his name. Rainfrog was actually discovered on the steps of a monastery high in the mountains of Chang. Now, Chang is my Asian area, sort of, and it's down below the main continent, and there are a whole bunch of mountains between the uh, main part of Koronai and the Chang'an lands. And this monastery was located high in the mountains uh, in that area, and when Rainfrog was born... Apparently his mother or his father, he he really wasn't sure which, um, must have carried him and left him on the doorstep of the monastery, just like, you know, a lot of orphan stories begin that way. And 
he was at first, you know, reviled by the monks, but the master there said, look, he is just as good, you know, just as good a person as all of you. You know, we can take him and train him the right way and he'll be a, a decent individual. Well, you know, later on, he did become a very good monk and then he was able to take that skill and go on his leaf blown path as to say the time in a monk's life when they are required to go out into the world and learn as much as they can about things and, you know, just sort of let the universe test them. So Rainfrog would do that, and Rainfrog was on his leaf-blown path as a result of his training, and that's how he ran into the other player characters. A lot of people still didn't quite, you know, they took him at face value, and so he had to wear hoods that uh, covered his face so that people wouldn't just automatically attack him sometimes because orcs are not considered to be very welcome in a lot of places. You know, he had the whole tusks thing. He he was not a beautiful person, but he was uh, he had sort of a, a an ape quality to him, sort of an iron ape sort of thing going on. And he had a really cool flute that he could play. It was an iron flute that doubled as a staff that he could kick people's butts with. So that was neat. Anyway, Rainfrog was another one of my really unusual characters. Now, what you know, we had to make him sort of fit the mold, but it was not not that hard to do. Another character is one that my daughter and I put together because she was a tourist character. Um, she really didn't find the game too compelling sometimes, so she wanted to be able to sort of pop in and pop out whenever she wanted. And the character Zagip, which is a, a fairy dragon, was perfect for that. Now, I don't know if you know much about fairy dragons. They were in a version of the Monster Manual Once Upon a Time back in the second edition. I haven't really seen them in a canon um, Monster Manual since then, but I decided that I was going to make a fairy dragon class so that you know she could go ahead and advance in that and not really have to worry about you know, multi-classing or taking on certain special classes that she could essentially go up in levels as a fairy dragon and be okay. Um, one of the powers that she had as a result of fairy dragon, uh, being a fairy dragon, is a thing called a pink breath, which is kind of like a uh, breathed-out wand of wonder, and that was fun. Um, she was also able to carry things. She had a tiny little bracelet of item storing, so if she could pick it up with her wings uh, beating fast and her claws grasping something, she could put it inside of her bracelet, and then it would immediately become an item on the bracelet, which meant that she could carry it. So you know she could carry a lot of things that not you know fairy dragons aren't used to carrying. She was also able to wear rings around her arms like wrists, like little bracelets. So she had, a, I think she had a ring of uh, protection and a ring of, some other ring. I think it maybe there's a ring of invisibility that she could put on at times. But Zagib had a lot of interesting little spells. I created a special spell li list, which really just reflected the fairy dragon, you know, mischievous nature. The kind of things that fairy dragons would uh, would would want to do. Nothing really major in terms of combat, but a lot of little minor annoying mischievous spells. And um, she could fly, you know, and she could hover, and she could 
zoop around and look at things and talk to people. And she, um, she was really, she just had a great deal of fun with that. And she was not a human or a humanoid character. And that was a bit difficult in situations where, um, especially since, you know, fairy dragons in my world, you know, like in many D and D worlds, fairy dragons were considered to be vermin, you know, like pests basically. And they were instantly, usually they were instantly attacked or, you know, otherwise sought to get out of there. So that was interesting. Finally, the, uh, an unusual PC that I uh, remember uh, really strongly was a character named Accordia. Now, Accordia was not a cleric, although she had clerical powers. She was found in the snow as a child and raised by warrior nuns of, of the goddess of uh, swords and necessity, a goddess named Lothus. And Accordia was her name. And Accordia was actually, she didn't quite understand what she was. She'd never been taught any of the clerical mysteries or anything like that. She'd never done any sort of special rituals or anything like that. She just suddenly had this clerical power, and the clerical power was sufficient to do, you know, the things that normal clerics can do, which really confused the priestesses because they were like, how can you do all these things if you are not a real priestess? And she's like, well, I don't know, but I am a priestess. So come to find out much later in her development she was an avatar of a goddess. She was the the avatar of the goddess. And as a result, she had a lot of challenges to her character. Now, a lot of people might say, well, gosh, that's just way too powerful, Sam. There's no way I could have an avatar of a goddess in my game and you know expect that it will remain balanced. And I have to tell you, you know, because of the way I structured it and the way I explained it, um, she was just as powerful as any other regular character of her rank or of her level. Uh, she did have some times when some miraculous things happened to her to sort of either change the situation or make it, you know, better. But that was primarily easily couched in terms of, okay, this is somebody who's just lucky. So basically, I didn't find it to be a terrible burden to have this avatar in the game. And as she grew in power, she became a lot more mentally unbalanced as a character. So that became, I mean, after a while, the players stopped playing her, but not because she wasn't interested, just because the, you know, the game had already ended. And, you know, after a while, the character became an NPC, and we started seeing her show up in various situations, especially in situations where there were corrupt priests or priestesses of the of the uh, Order of Lothus. That was essentially her function. She wanted to go around and essentially cleanse the bad people inside the religion, and she actually ended up causing a major transformational event happen to happen in the religion that changed the religion completely. So that was a very cool story arc for her. And ultimately, yes, it was a bit unusual, but it was something that, you know, I could work with. So in thinking about unusual characters, a lot of people, you know, kind of roll their eyes and to a certain extent, I can understand why. I mean, it's a classic, uh, strategy of a power gamer to suddenly decide, okay, we're going to play a hill giant 
and you know so that we can have like a 25 strength but uh, you know and they they don't really know you say well why do you want to play a hill giant well um because i like them well no actually what it is is you just want their strength and what you haven't thought about are the things that make a player character viable rather than just one aspect of the player character, which is the, their combat stats. Well, and that topic is so big and long that I'm going to have to split it up into two separate segments. So the next segment of this particular topic of Freak Show characters will be available in Bears Grove number 23. Next up, we have a segment on how to introduce your players to a new game world. Welcome to the GM's Corner, and I'd like to talk a little bit about how to introduce your own world to new players or to, to a new player's group. What I've done in the past to create a new campaign and make it start um, is I've created what's called a gazetteer. Now, the gazetteer is not a complete document. It's not something that's meant to give every last bit of information about the campaign to somebody. What it is designed to do is it is designed to give you enough information to start making decisions that will affect how you create your character. Just enough information, not too much, but just enough. And also, as a secondary mission, it's there to provide some common knowledge that just about everybody would know. Just like right now, if somebody asks you, you know, what the capital of Iowa is, you know, you will probably know this, or if you don't know it, you will have at least learned it and forgotten it once in school. That's part of your background knowledge of the the world as a whole, and that can also be represented by you know in a fantasy game by your character having and by your player having access to the gazetteer. The character would know it, the player may not know it. So that information goes in the gazetteer. So what do I put in a gazetteer? I put my um, races or species. I put the various countries, the large political bodies. I talk about the geography of the world. Um, some I cover areas like trade, religion, language and culture, law, gender, you know, gender roles and that sort of thing. Sometimes I talk a little bit about sex and sexuality. How are outsiders looked at? Who are the outsiders? I try to fit in all of the aspects of the world that really should be there. And then I go into what I call character concepts. Now, what I do with character concepts is I try to think of not a character specifically, and certainly I don't go to the level of classes or any kind of um, you know stats or anything like that. But I talk about okay, so this is the kind, this is a grouping of people, and I'm going to provide to you a download of the PDF of my. Uh, gazetteer for a game I called Fire, Ice, Steel, and Blood that I was putting together. And actually, unfortunately, this campaign never went anywhere yet. 
but uh, I have it in case you know I ever get to a point where I want to run it again. But uh, it's a very good example of how to put together a gazetteer. It's got a lot of different information about the focus of the world that we were playing with, and it has a great deal of various character concepts that you can choose from. Now, these concepts are, like I said, they're not stat-dependent. So what they do is they talk more in general terms about the character options you might have. And it gets people thinking, you know, okay, so I, am I going to play somebody who is ice kind? That is to say somebody who lives in the, in the, uh, on the ice, or I'm going to have to play someone who's a Southlander, um, or someone who is maybe, uh, you know, an ice towner, somebody who's been there for a long time, you know, what kind of person am I going to play? And then they can look at the concept lists and sort of pick somebody within that group. Or if they are going to have a completely different idea, at least they know what kind of people are around and what kind of people will be you know, encountered in the story, which helps out a lot in people's expectations. Obviously, if there are important myths and legends or important magical differences or things that will change from the uh, typical expectation that people have, um, it's good to put that in here. I put what languages are available. I put um, I talk a little bit about various uh, factions that are involved. I give you as much information as I can about the story, about the, what's going to happen um, th- that, you know, without actually giving away the whole story. And remember, we're just creating a platform to make the story. We don't have to create the story just yet. It's good to have seeds of the story embedded in the platform, embedded in the baseline of this gazetteer, but it's not required. And that's pretty much it for uh, how to introduce your game to new players Next up, we have the feedback section. The feedback we have today is from Jeff in Vermont. And Jeff is a listener of both the Dragonkin podcast and the Bears Grove the answer to the question is much more appropriate for the Bears Grove because it goes into a lot of detail that just about everybody could use. So, But I do appreciate the question about kids and gaming, and we'll see what we can do with it here. Hi, Sam. I've been catching up on your podcast, and I really enjoy all of it. I appreciate you putting so much of yourself out there. I'm hoping that you can give me some advice about a game that my 10-year-old son and I are going to start soon. He loves Dungeons & Dragons and has played for a year and a half in a couple of games at our friendly local gaming store, as well as a game I ran for seven kids, homeschooled and public schooled. He found, though, that the store games didn't let him do the things he wanted to do with his character, and the game I ran is on break for the summer. At the same time, I've been started playing in an exalted 2nd edition game, and Dear Son likes the setting and the emphasis on storytelling. Inspired by your podcast and others, I've suggested that we create a one-on-one game together 
where we can emphasize the role-playing and the storytelling. I wonder if you have any suggestions about the intersection of gaming with kids and one-on-one gaming. Have you done one-on-one games with your children or others? Also, although I think I'm good at role-playing and good cinematic descriptions, I'm not so confident about constructing compelling story. Since the main thrust of this game is going to be about my son's character and his story, I want the story to be meaningful. Perhaps you can suggest resources that would help me get better at story building. Please feel free to use any of this springboard material for your podcast. Thanks again for sharing yourself with all of us. Jeff in Vermont. Well, Jeff, I'm really jazzed that you are gaming with your child and that you are running games for kids, and that's awesome news. Now, as far as one-on-one games go, um, I want to give you a few quick notes about how to handle them. I do them all the time, and I could probably go on and on about them. In fact, I did. I had to re-record this whole section. But let me just give you the brief hint as to what this is. Okay, first of all, on a one-on-one game, you want to do an episodic story, not a serial one. To start with, your plot should be fairly simple and should move quickly. Use the you know five-year-old rule. If you can explain it to a five-year-old, it's probably simple enough to use in an episodic story. Think TV show plots. You know, something quick and fast-moving and easy to get a hold of. Nothing obtuse and complicated. Second, avoid getting bogged down in combat. Use your cinematic description skills to advantage in this. Play up Role-play interaction with NPCs. Keep the story moving at all costs. You can do a lot of back-and-forth negotiations and talking between the player character and an NPC, but there are times at which you just have to sort of stop the conversation because you've gone on for too long and go on to the next bit of business in the story. Third, build up a backlog of story ideas ready to go so you can segue between them fairly easily. I realize you just finished saying that you had a hard time with that, but I do think it's important to know that you will need to have more stories in the can ready to go than you uh, than you would normally do. That way, if the story that you're playing goes quickly, you can turn around and start on the next story. Fourth, make notes on everything that happens, and especially any non-player characters you may have to invent on the fly. Now, you are going to have to invent characters on the fly. You need to think about that and come up with a list of potential names and some descriptions and that sort of thing ahead of time so that you have that list available and you don't look like you're making up a name completely out of the blue. Go ahead and think about the other characters that might be in the area and come up with some just some sketchy details about those characters. You don't have to stat them out, but just give a few uh, bits and pieces of those characters for later use. Okay, some warning. First thing is don't have NPCs talking to each other. That's like one of the worst things you can do. Also, things move fast and don't be afraid to ask to take a break if you need one. If things are moving quickly and you don't have you you suddenly realize that you need to know a lot more about the city that they just entered into and you don't know anything about it, well, just say, look, I need to take a break here, make some notes, and we'll come back to the game in a little bit. But I need to take a break and get my head together about what's going on. 
and that's okay. You normally probably couldn't do that with your regular gaming group, but in a one-on-one situation, it has to be, there has to be some give and take between player and GM. Giving you good story building tips is such a wide ranging topic. It's not really going to be doable in a short answer, but I can provide you with a few links to web pages in the show notes to help you with this. And of course, future episodes of the Bears Grove will definitely touch on story building techniques. And that's pretty much my quick and dirty definition of how to do one-on-one games. I might do some future segments on one-on-one just to sort of give people an idea as to how to do it and how to make it interesting and keep it going. Well, you've finished another Bears Grove podcast listening, whereas I am done making it happen. And I really appreciate you getting to the end of the podcast here, and I want to thank you for that. The Bears Grove is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry. In addition to the Bears Grove, the Foundry produces the Bears Grove Bardic Circle, Dragonkin, the podcast for kids in gaming, and Vibrant Living. More information available at fireheartfoundry.com. Music today is from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. The song for today, Eisen Lalu by Mark Hymonen. As always, the Bears Grove is generously provided under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use license 2.5. I encourage you to support free culture and think about what cool and nifty things you can do with the Creative Commons license at creativecommons.org. The Bears Grove calls for your feedback kudos and or participation and little beeping noises send an audio file or email us at bearsgrove at gmail.com leave us a voicemail at 206-888-2327 leave us comments of the show blog at bearsgrove.com thanks so much for listening and until next time have sweet dreams when you get them (laughs) 